0: mm <clears throat> Dumb. There you go. Your message is <laughs> going to be good. We're back into some top topics <laughs> this month. Uh am going to answer some questions. have about the Bible? It's going to be a great and challenging month. I'm for it. Either we're as many as you can. you're not here to watch online, it's going to be really great. So, tune in. Well, hey everyone, I wanna welcome all of our locations. I wanna welcome everybody online or TV. I am super excited and I think all of us should be excited because this new series, Thunderdome. Yes, like it is that intense. Uh, If you think of it, some of you are thinking probably the Mad Max movie. Some of you are thinking WWE Smackdown, Thunderdome, that kind of deal. Some of you are like, what are both of those? Either way. Here's what you need to know. When we talk about Thunderdome, you got to think fight. You got to think rumble. There are just going to be things that we are going to work through. And so different kind of conversations that I think kind of, here's what Christians believe. Here's what the world believes. And they don't connect. They don't go together. So I think it's important for us as Christians, what do we believe about some of these things? We'll be talking about the Bible. We'll be talking about pain and evil, the spiritual world, uh, sanctity of life. And on top of that, origins science how does all of this play into our lives and so today the focus will be the bible and i think the ultimate question we're asking is the bible reliable can we trust it and i think there's world just telling us a lot of things and i my hope by kind of our end of our time is that you start to go okay i understand more why god gave us the bible because that should be a question we all should be asking why do we need it why did god give it to us And so to help us kind of go into that, I think this scripture begins to help us see that a little bit. Look at this in Hebrews uh, 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. I picture it this way, where um, the Bible is something that God goes, I want you to see the truth. I want you to know the truth. And not only that, I want you to see it through what I've done through different cultures, how I've navigated it with people, and what I've done throughout all of history, just showing them who I am so that you can know the truth. So it penetrates us, and it will convict us. That is the role of sometimes the Bible to say, you need this. But it also is there to encourage us. And so as you kind of work through this, maybe I've had this moment, maybe you've had the same. I was sitting in uh, high school, junior year English class. The English teacher goes, we're going to talk about the Bible today. I was like, okay, this is awesome. This will be great. I mean, I'm actually like wanting to study this more. Uh, he goes, so here are these two gospels. They contradict each other. This is why the Bible is a problem. And I was like, uh I don't know how to handle that. Because <laughs> I grew up in church and it was the first time I've ever heard someone say something against the Bible. And so that kind of rocked my world and started kind of putting some questions, doubts in my head. And for some of us, uh, you could be on the side of like, I've actually struggled that with a long time. I even struggled with my belief in Jesus. Like, I don't know how to wrestle with this. And then I think there's some like, we're Christians, but we also go, yeah, I could, I, I could use some help with this though helping understand what this is, how do we navigate this? There are some tough things about the Bible. And so there's two components that we're going to look at. One is historical and one is cultural. And I'll kind of have four arguments that I've heard uh, and processed and studied that I typically hear about, well, the Bible is this, so that's why it's blah, blah, blah. And so let's look at the historical piece first. So if you were to look at uh, the Bible and see its history and kind of go, is it true? Is it real? Um, one thing that we just need to kind of recognize, the Old Testament uh, consists of 39 books. And it was written over a span of 1,500 years. Uh, the New Testament uh, has got 27 books. And it was written over. And this is kind of anywhere from 25 to 50 years, if you want to put it in there. A lot shorter. I <laughs> just say that. Um, But here comes the first argument that I've heard. The Bible has many errors due to all the translations. So if you grew up in church, sometimes the argument um, for the Bible was it's inerrant. There are no errors in it. And so then you're like, it's this book that came, fell from heaven, and it's perfect, and everything is great about it. But then there's some people who are going, but do you know it's been translated so many times? There's errors in it. How do we navigate this? How do we work through this? And if you were to study it, there is some pieces to that that, okay, yeah. Especially the Old Testament, you've got 1500 years of writing and storing these things and people translating it, all those kind of things. But I think it's important to understand more how that process worked. Because if you were to study it, uh, Jewish culture, They valued the Old Testament, they were the ones that translated it, all those kind of things. If you were to hear the process of what happened, it would start to be like, it wasn't just this guy in his room by himself, just okay, and all my friends, here we go. Like it was so much bigger than that. So here's how the process would play out. They could use, uh, only use clean animal skins, both to write on and even to bind the manuscripts. Each column of writing could have no less than 48, no more than 60 lines. The ink must be black and of a special recipe. They must verbalize each word aloud while they were writing. They must wipe the pen, wash their entire bodies before they even write the word Jehovah every time they wrote it. There must be a review within 30 days. And if many, as many as three pages required corrections, the entire manuscript had to be redone. The letters, the words, and paragraphs had to be counted, and the documents became invalid if two letters touched each other. The middle paragraph, word, letter must correspond to those of the original document. The document could be stored only in sacred places like synagogues, and no document containing God's word could be destroyed. They were stored or buried in a hiding place. They were kind of typically in synagogues or something in a Jewish cemetery. So, those were the rules. And I've even heard others say that even when someone was copying it, there would be two scribes behind them. And if they made an error, they would have to then correct it and then all three initial it. That is how much they valued the scriptures. They cared about it that much. They, wa- they valued it to where they would hold it and just say, This is so important to us. So there's that piece of it. The other piece you've got to understand is that if you're going to compare, especially just take Old Testament right now, to other historical documents, it's funny this argument is so pushed against the Bible. Because I'll show you a quote from uh, Gleason Archer, who has, you could just look him up, big scholar on all this stuff. And so he pointed out, in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the plenty of variations, whole clauses, are inserted or left out, in the sense, in some cases, altogether different. So this book, an Egyptian document, you could look it up, explain how they did funerals, explain history is being taught in this moment. But this is not the case with the Hebrew Scriptures. For example, even though the two copies of Isaiah discovered in the Qumran Caves near the Dead Sea in 1947, were a thousand years earlier than the oldest dated manuscript. Previously known, they proved to be word for word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. So, if that argument holds weight and say your life, well then you've got a lot of other historical books you've got to take out then. You can't believe in this, you can't trust that, you can't do this, because a lot of the other historical ones have all these changes and so I'm just saying if you're going to walk down that belief and make that argument well then all that stuff has got to go and so that's it's like yeah there's going to be some errors in this because we're humans which whole thing about that we would love for God to be like God just make it clear don't have errors it would be great but he handed it over to a whole nation had them write it down Have them translate it. And let's be honest, a 95% rate on keeping that pretty accurate, most of us go, oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty accurate. And so, yeah, could there have been some errors? Absolutely. But to me, that doesn't discredit the inerrancy of God because the message has never changed. The Bible's message has never changed. Some words, sure. But the inerrancy of it, to me, And I think to all of us is going, the message is still the same, we need Jesus. And that's what it points to. And so I've talked a lot about the Old Testament. Now we go into the New Testament here. And the New Testament, just know this, that is the standard for how you would say this is a true historical document. It is the standard, it sets the standard, it blows all the other ones out of the water. And so to show you this, just is just a comparison because there's two ways that documents, uh, historical documents are going verified, this is good, this is healthy. First one is ancient works and their oldest manuscripts. So when the thing happened to now, here's the oldest manuscript we have. So these are people that you've probably read about in history class. We've read their stories. So Homer's Iliad, from where it happened to his first writing, 500 years. Julius the Gallic Wars, 1,000 years. Pliny, he was a Roman historian. Story of all the Roman Empire could tell you a lot about that. Thucydides, he was a Greek one, kind of even focused more on especially uh, Athens and Sparta fighting amongst each other. Um, you get the, all those kind of fun things. And then Herodotus, history, 1,300 years. He was the one that kind of, Gave us the Persian, Greek wars, all those kind of things. So these all recognize these are history, these are true. And look at the year separation. And then you got the New Testament, 25 years. The goal is to be lower, just so you're aware. <laughs> so once again, the Gospels, the thing that the Bible, all of it hangs on in comparison to other historian documents that we've read, we've listened to, we may not have known it came from these guys, but it did. New Testaments right there going uh, 25 years. From when Jesus died on the cross, moments that it happened, to where they started writing about it. Then the other part of it, here's the other argument that you would have, is number of early manuscripts. So how many manuscripts were made? Homer Iliad 643, this is second, by the way, in the world, New Testament, over 24,000. And you look at some of these eight, eight, seven, ten. So the argument that it's not reliable because of translation, it's a struggle because I go, but these are okay then. So you kind of see there is a certain agenda, I think, from some people from the world going, no, no, those can't be right because that book has an agenda with it. It's not just history. But I would say if we're trying to study history, then we gotta be very careful of picking and choosing if one is a lot more accurate than the other. If we're going to include this one, then we probably should include this one as well. Uh, argument number two that I've heard, the, bo- the Bible contradicts itself. Hence my story <laughs> that happened. Uh, and even some, uh, if you keep on studying this, they'll be like, well, if you read Jesus' parables, you would see like he says this in one parable and one gospel and he says this in another and it's not the same. And, or he fed 5,000 and then he fed 4,000 over here. H- I don't understand. How is that different? I remember one pastor telling like he had this issue and went and told the professor and the professor's like, okay, hold on. Um, Have you ever given the same message to multiple groups of people? Yes. Did you say it exactly the same? No. So, do you think it's possible, because let's be honest, there's a good chance that Jesus went around to every town and taught some of the same parables that we read about. And each town, he was like, hey, let me share this with you. So there's a chance that John heard this one and was like, oh, that one, that's, that's when I heard it. Matthew's over here, this is when I heard it. And they're writing on different aspects. And hear me, <clears throat> this happens even for me when I give a sermon. Some of you may come up to me like, oh, I love this point. The other person goes, hey, I heard this point. And I go, those do not sound the same. It's just sometimes how we hear things our personalities, how we interpret things. So all the Gospels, even each one of them, we're writing for different purposes, too. So that argument is kind of, actually, I would say, validates it. It makes it a little bit more messy, which actually speaks to its authenticity. Because if they were going to make this all up, Bible was just this whole charade, then you would better make sure it all matches up. You wouldn't let that slide. You wouldn't go, oh, okay, well, hey, we'll just, you said this, well, what, well, I gotta say that. They wouldn't do that. To me, this starts to speak to, I heard this, I experienced this, I want you to hear it. They were all trying to do that. But to give you even some uh, examples that are in the Bible and that I've heard from this, so first one is how Judas passes away. So in Matthew, there's one. Uh, then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went and hanged himself. I'm sorry this is really morbid, but we'll just kind of go through this, okay? Um, but then Acts, who was written by Luke, wrote it. And eh, some of you would be like, this is not the same. Okay. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. This is a moment, like, it's not the same. It contradicts itself. And so I'd go, okay, but Matthew may have been right, like, okay, here's what happened. And then Luke is the one that expounds on it, like he tried to hang himself and it didn't go well. He just fell, <laughs> things didn't go well, split open, all those same thing. It actually doesn't contradict itself. It actually could be, this is how it played out. Luke is just, uh, he's known as a doctor. He's like, let me explain more because I heard more of the story. So it's not a contradiction. Could be more of an explanation of what happened. Matthew just summed it up. He's like, well, he tried to hang himself. Uh, another example there is how many angels were at the tomb when Jesus raised from the dead. So you see this in Matthew. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And then, if you look at John chapter 20, verse 12, she saw two white robed angels. Whoa, Matthew said one. John says two, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. But in this, we've got to recognize Matthew didn't didn't say, he just pointed out, did not say that there wasn't two. He just said, this one's talking. Once again, I feel like we're trying to take arguments here and just splice, take the littlest thing and try to make it what we want it to be. And so to me, if there's anything I could tell you, is just start having an open mind towards the Bible and listening to what it has to say. Because if you have the agenda of finding something wrong with the Bible, yeah, you'll find it. We all will. It's not hard. But I think if we take more of an open mind to it and go, okay, God, what were you trying to teach us here? Is this a historical document? How does this play out? I think we start to see things maybe in a different light. Now, the second component of this is culture. Uh, So you got the first argument here. The Bible is not culturally relevant. This is probably the one I hear the most. Bible doesn't apply to us. It's outdated. Those rules, all those kind of things don't matter anymore. But culture is a funny thing. (laughs) because all of us, we grew up in this, so we think it's the best. It's our context. It's our culture. So, yes, if you take the Bible and put it into our United States culture right now, uh, we'd be like, you know what parts I love? Love it when we talk about forgiveness. Love about grace. Love your enemy. Love people. Love is awesome. And then it talks about sex, and we're like, "Mm, nope, that's not right. That can't be accurate. It's, it's outdated, it's all those kind of things, okay? But if I were to take the Bible over to, let's say, a Middle Eastern country like Saudi Arabia, totally different culture there, they may look at the Bible, and they would start to go, okay, uh, sex part, very good, exactly what we would agree with this, and you could probably be a little bit stronger. But they would say, okay, love your neighbor, depends on who your neighbor is, Love your enemy. Uh, I don't know about that. Grace, eh, they would struggle with that part of the Bible. So then if I were to take this even to just Jewish culture, who struggles with uh, some of the New Testament and Jesus being the Messiah, they would probably agree with, yes, love your neighbor, yes, do all these things. Uh, Yes, sex part, awesome, that's exactly what it should be. But then he'd be like, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, uh, I don't know. Don't know about that. Realize every culture has probably looked at the Bible and said, uh, not that part, and not that part. Because I think we start to go, I think we could do it better. But God has watched all these cultures. God has been present for all of them. And so what if, thought process of going, what if he's trying to help each culture? Navigate the areas where they're going, we don't want to listen to you there. He's like, okay, can we talk about that? But these areas, I'm glad you listened to it here. You like this. Question to ask yourself, do you believe God can transcend culture? Because even if you, uh, there's parts in the Bible sometimes that I've struggled with. Like, take for instance, some of the Genesis part at the beginning where you hear these like guys of faith, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, but man, how they treated women, how they treated their family. You're just like, eh, these guys don't seem like the greatest dudes. Um, and struggle with that part of it. What was interesting though is one professor pointed out, a Jewish professor, he goes, in the midst of that, when you've got polygamy like crazy, me, they're marrying multiple wives. Uh, family dynamics, it all went to the firstborn. You notice that in the Bible, that doesn't make it like that culture, God wasn't saying, hey, that's awesome. If anything, you notice how difficult it is for them. Believe me, it wasn't awesome. It really made their lives difficult. Their family dynamics weren't awesome. So God, even in that moment, is trying to say, see, even in this culture, I was trying to show them what was best. That's what I love. The Bible is an open book showing us what God has navigated with humanity through so many different things. Helping so many different cultures know who he is. So the thing we've got to wrestle with is do we really think our culture is the best? Or maybe it's possible that God knows more than we do. Look at this scripture in Colossians. I think it speaks to this and Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all, who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. So either that scripture's true and he does transcend culture and the Bible starts to help us unlock that or you keep walking down this argument, yeah, it's not relevant because I think what I'm doing or what, what our culture is doing is better. So then last argument, the Bible is not fully followed. So this is kind of where you start to see the hypocrisy sometimes. It's like, well, it says this, but the church doesn't do this. It says this, but you as a Christian don't do this. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, that somewhat exists. Uh, Cause I could tell you right now, if I were going to read some scriptures from Leviticus, um, we'd all be like, yeah, we don't do that. <coughs> uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, don't have a variety of crops on the same field. Uh, that happens. Um, don't wear clothes made of more than one fabric. I'm wearing that right now. I have multiple fabrics going on, just so you are aware. Um, do not cut your hair nor shave. I shaved before, <laughs> just so you, I, I, it, it, it happened. Um, people who are disfigured and deformed or are blame or blind or lame cannot go to the altar of God. Leviticus twenty-one seventeen through 18. As a church, we don't believe that anymore. Because anyone and everyone is welcome. So yes, you could make this argument, but what that tells me is maybe you haven't read the whole Bible. Because those rules, even Paul talks about later in the New Testament, but even the Old Testament prophets were saying this is not enough. These rules only point to the fact that we need a Messiah. We need a Savior. We can't live up to these. So God was putting this in place, saying, here's the law. Let me show you where your sin is. And some of these laws back even then, they were for hygiene purposes. So to me, this doesn't make the argument uh, contradict itself or anything, or hypocritical. It's just more, the Bible has been moving and showing us that this right here wasn't the full piece of it. It pointed to, we need Jesus because we actually can't live up to the law. We can't live up to the rules. So as I made kind of walk through these arguments, there's two parts that I think is important for us to land and make sure that we understand this. This is, I would kind of put this, the important truths about the Bible. First one is this, the Bible is human made. Some of us may in church have thought like, no, God made it up in heaven and brought it down. That's not true. People wrote it, There's, it's been translated so many ways, transcribed, all those kind of things. It's human made. But to me, that doesn't take away its divinity. And I even point out, it doesn't take away its inerrancy because God's been in the midst of all this messiness the whole time. And the message has not changed. The gospel is still true today. You think about that. The Bible was written so many years ago. We're still following it, letting it lead us to this day. Either we're all nuts or there's something to it and even the heirs that exist are because of us, not God. Second piece of this, the purpose of the Bible is to reveal our need for a savior. To me, if you start processing the Bible, reading the Bible with this process, this mindset, I think the Bible starts to become more open to you. You start reading it with a lens that goes, oh, okay, I see where God's moving in that. Or it gives you the ability to even study that. I know God's heart in this. His whole purpose for the Bible is for me to see where my life can improve and get better. But also, I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I can't make this right on my own. That's what the Bible is here for. That's why it's beautiful. That's why I believe it changes lives. So here's what I want to do to end. I simply want you to close your eyes and I'm going to read the Hebrews passage again. And with all that we've talked about, maybe let God speak into your life because I don't know where you're at in your belief about the Bible. But I hope that you'll take some and going, okay, do I believe this? Do I believe this is what God has the Bible here for? Is it doing this in my life? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you would be with us. And this conversation about the Bible, may you open our eyes. May you help us see this verse in Hebrews play out in our lives to where it convicts us, it cuts deep into us, but it also reveals that we need a Savior who's already come and died for us, conquered sin for us, conquered death for us. And so God, may we hold on to these these scriptures and recognize how valuable they are. Even taking it from historical peace, there's evidence in that. Even cultural peace, there's evidence that. But also, just personally in our own lives, we need this. To see how you interact with other people throughout history, to see that you sent your son Jesus and to see what he did here on earth. Got to think about a world where we don't have any of that. To me, it'd be devastating to not know some of that stuff and to be able to feel like we're there in that. But also, God, what I love is even if that was true, you would still chase after us. You would still love us. You would still figure out a way for us to know who you are. So God, we thank you for being that kind of God and we thank you for giving us the Bible. God, we love you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.